Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Welcome, everybody. I'm Jimmy Myers. And I am Josh. How are you doing? Welcome to Paradox. Today, we are so extraordinarily fortunate to be speaking with Dr. Karen Pryor. Karen is a professor of English, and she chairs the English and Modern Languages Department at Liberty University. She's the author of Fierce Convictions, and she wrote a memoir called Booked, Literature in the Soul of Me. She's a research fellow with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. She's a senior fellow uh, with Liberty University's Center for Apologetics and Cultural Engagement. Karen, thank you so much for being with us. That was a mouthful. Thank you for having me. Really? <laughs> I wasn't really uh, impressed until now. Now I'm kind of nervous talking to you. <laughs> um, okay, you, anytime someone speaks to you, I'm sure it begins something like, how did a mild-mannered English professor get a file with the FBI? <laughs> Actually, you're the first one to just come flat out and ask me you're that. Kidding. So, um, That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. How did that come about? Well, um, I'll, the medium-length story is um, simply that when I was uh, a young adult, just graduated from college and newly married, I became I was already a Christian. Um, but I became converted to the pro-life position and the pro-life cause um, just through having a, a crisis pregnancy center come to my church and mm -hmm. do a presentation on, on abortion and crisis pregnancies. And I just cannot attribute it to anything but the moving of the Holy Spirit where I was just convicted mm -hmm. to that position and also convicted to do something. Um, and that was... Uh, right around the time when, when Operation Rescue was um, starting to right. move across the country and protests were being organized outside of abortion clinics and so forth. And um, I got involved in those protests. I got involved in what was called sidewalk counseling, which is offering help to women outside of, of clinics. I became a volunteer at that same uh, local crisis pregnancy center that came to my church. I just got very, very involved in, in the movement um, and arrested a few times, mainly actually not for um, blocking clinics, which is something that we did do, but actually just for being arrested while I was trying to offer help and assistance to women going into the clinics. Oh. And um, so, of course, those kinds of activities tend to um, get other people upset. And uh, so, you know, I got hate mail and harassment phone calls and and uh, things like that. So I so I had I had a file basically for my own activities and arrests and also for some of the kinds of, of threatening messages that I got. Oh, OK, Josh, we've got to get an FBI file. <laughs> That's the coolest thing. <laughs> well, it's but of course, the most is... important thing, the most important thing is the women who were helped 
the babies exactly. whose lives were saved, and the minds of the public who really, I think, the, the consciousness of the nation was raised about abortion as an issue. And I think that mm-hmm. the tide has, has really turned because of those um, activities some years ago now where people just started to really think more about abortion than they had before. Yeah, absolutely. And and nowadays, it it seems like, though, the good thing about the FBI file is that the FBI seems to ignore things. True. (laughs) Yeah, you're you're in good shape at this point. Yeah, don't worry about it, Karen. Anyway, moving on from the FBI file. (laughs) Okay, and you're right, because I was in youth ministry for 20 years before doing this, and uh, abortion was in the 80s, you know, just a huge, huge, huge issue. We talked about it all the time. Um. Have you seen over the years that, and it used to be the hot button issue for politics, and now it seems to have faded into the background. Are you finding that that it's almost become passe with the the church at large? I, in some sense, I think it it has. Now, I mean, there are a few ways to look at this, um, and and public opinion polls have pretty fairly consistently shown that the pro life position has increased pretty steadily over the years or remained the same. It hasn't declined. And that's even, you know, in the general public and in the church. And that's a good Mm. thing. Um, I think that the larger sort of culture wars model that the abortion battle, you know, sort of epitomized has um, gone by the wayside. I mean, the the millennial generation is, is not as political. They're not as into the culture wars. Kind of model that that we were we participated in, and, and I, I think that's good. I mean, I, I don't want we don't want to lose um, we don't want to lose on these important issues, but I think a broader, um, deeper approach to culture and to social change is a good thing. And I think we wouldn't have that if we hadn't had these these culture wars. Um, so I think I think the abortion issue is not as prominent and is not as pressing. Um, as other issues, but I think that's partly because we are taking a wider, deeper, broader approach Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in general. Abortion has almost become, well, not strike that, it is, it has been a litmus test for a liberal politician or for someone who identifies with a more liberal point of view. It just, it just comes with it. I've never, you probably have, but I've never met a liberal that was pro-life. And if that's the case, I mean, they adhere to it almost like a religious conviction. Um, What have you found is a conversation that you can have with someone that's that is very, very pro-abortion? What's a conversation that works? What is something that they can That's an excellent question. And that's actually something that um, that I I did get involved in following those years of of protest is something called, it was a formal movement called Common Ground and uh, with an organization tied to it. But of course, Common Ground is a term we can use for a lot of issues. Um, And I think I think as Christians, especially as Christians with with uh, with the pro-life issue in mind or Christians with apologetics in mind, um, Common Ground is should be at the heart of what we, mm-hmm. we do, no matter what the issue is. Mm-hmm. Talking with people, unbelie- whether they're unbelievers or people on the other side of the political aisle, trying to find, you know, first of all, recognize within them the image of God that is, that is in them, and the truth of God that is written in their hearts, that the Bible tells us is He has given all to all of us, that what, no matter how hidden it is or how um, quenched it is, 
and uh, and also recognizing that um, that most people do have good intentions and good goals in mind, and, and we disagree with how to uh, to solve various social and political issues, um, and trying to find things that we hold in common, such as the dignity and worth of every human being, and and most pro-choicers will you know say that they are uh, that they are they love children and they love families, um, sure. but it ultimately comes down to the fact that they don't recognize the unborn as sure. a person. Um, and so, you know, we can find areas where we agree, So, and it's just as important to find the precise areas where we disagree, and sometimes we're never going to find agreement on that, but um, I think that there is much more room for areas where we can find agreement and then begin to perhaps move forward and break up some of these stalemates that we've had politically and socially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at ChristianityToday.com, in their hermeneutics section, uh, you wrote an article, Loving Your Pro-Choice Neighbor, um, and you kind of led into that uh, article. Anything else to add um, from from that piece uh, on that answer? Yeah, the, the, the focus of that piece, I wrote that piece right after um, last year's shooting um, at a Planned Parenthood clinic um, by someone who turned out to be you know, someone who's just mentally deranged and and right. and wasn't really thinking rationally, but he was, for whatever reason, somehow opposed to abortion. That was part of why he targeted a Planned Parenthood. Um, and I think as Christians that even, you know, we, we understand the truth of God's Word, but we also have to recognize that, that the unbelieving world doesn't. And so the way we use language, the way that we approach the people who believe in things that we don't believe in is crucial to lifting the veil of deception that covers their eyes and and whether and I don't believe that calling people names or being derogatory toward them helps us to do that. So Absolutely. in all the years that I spent standing outside abortion clinics helping women to go in and helping helping women who were going in to to choose life rather than going in. The last thing that I wanted to do was call them a name or accuse them of something because why would they turn to me? Why would they take the help that I'm offering if I'm scaring or threatening them? And so I think we need to be careful in our language as well. So no matter what side of the aisle you you fall on, um, I think the biggest thing, the biggest discussion that needs to take place is how do we decrease the number of abortions? Um, what do you think a good plan of action is, whether it's a local community or at a state or national level? You know, I've been made recently aware of, of a lot of different divisions and antagonisms among people who are pro-life. Um, sometimes some of us, the younger people who are not happy with the way the, the older people have approached it. Some people want to do things politically. Some things people want to focus, you know, more on the on the community level. I say all of the above. Um, we're, you know, even among those of us who have pro-life convictions, there is a range of convictions about what it is that we are supposed to do or what, what the best way to go about it is. And, and we need to use all of the tools in our arsenal to combat this huge issue. I mean, we, are, we are culture. I wrote an article um, last year for um, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission um, called Is This Our Pro-Life Moment? And one of the things I said in that is we are a culture that is so steeped in abortion. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's similar to when our nation was steeped in slavery. Like we don't know, yeah. we have no idea how to exist as a country economically, socially, 
in terms of our family and our culture with, without abortion. We're, mm-hmm. when, when more than one in four pregnancies are ending in abortion, it has hit every family, every community in, mm-hmm. in ways that we just will never be able to measure. We are utterly dependent, or so we live, on abortion that, um, that we cannot even imagine how different our world would be without it. And so we have mm-hmm. to combat it at every level, on the personal level, the political level. Um, there isn't going to be a one-size-fits-all solution. But on the other hand, as, as hard as that sounds, think about the other things that have changed in, in, in our country and our world. We did end slavery. It wasn't easy and there are ripple effects that are continuing to affect our country even today of that great sin. Um, but take even a m- more minor evil, smoking. Um, you know, there was a time when everybody was smoking. It was advertised on television and it was fashionable and cool. And even though it still exists, um, we have a culture that's strictly, you know, the, the political system is, is regulated it. A lot of the tobacco, tobacco farms are now growing soybeans and corn because smoking is so out of out of vogue and, and is so um, taxed and regulated. We can do this. One way or another, we can do this, but we just simply can't give up. Let's say one has, has made the decision to have an abortion. They now view it as a mistake, whether it's a husband and wife relationship, friend. like How does someone heal after, after, um, after that mistake? That can really only come through the the grace and forgiveness of God, which is of course available to all. One of the things that I that I did in the Crisis Pregnancy Center, where I volunteered, was for a number of years to lead the the post-abortion Bible study that we offered, and I saw women who had had abortions weeks before. I saw women who'd had them decades before. We eventually expanded the ministry to include the men who'd been participants in an abortion. It is a very, very difficult and grave burden to bear, to bear. Mm. but we have a God who restores and redeems all things, and that includes the sin of abortion, and I have seen beautiful, beautiful things come out of that pain, and wonderful ministries and testimonies, um, you know, God can turn all things to good for those who serve him and are called according to his purpose. And that includes, includes anyone who's been involved yeah. in abortion. Absolutely. And so this certainly does hit home for teenagers as well. Um, I actually for years taught sex ed at public high schools in and around Austin, uh, the Austin area. And it he was, was a sex expert. <laughs> I was a sex expert. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it was but you're not anymore. No, he's not. No. <laughs> yeah. My I'm wife would anymore. say I was, I'm definitely I'm not, not anymore. anymore. Um, so yeah, so it was interesting because impoverished schools, um, they had high rates of teen pregnancies. You know, the school would offer babysitting so that the the individual, the teenager, could go to school. But I would ask when I would go into wealthier school districts, I would ask how many of you have ever experienced pregnancy or know someone who has a baby, and no hands went up. And I inquired about that with a teacher afterwards, and they said, yep, we don't deal with babies, but we deal with a lot of abortions. Um, so it certainly does hit home for teenagers as well. How should parents handle um, handle that if they have a, a teenager that, that is dealing with this similar issue? Well, I mean, one thing parents should never do is assume that their children know that they can come to them. Um mm-hmm. 
that needs to be articulated verbally over and over. I know I'm thankful I had parents who, uh, especially a mother who just told me I could always come to her about anything, um, no matter what happened. I mean, they set standards for me. They wanted, you know, they had behavior that they expected of me, yet at the same time, they, they also made it very clear that I could come to them with anything um, because, you know, because we all make mistakes. And so, um, so I think oftentimes um, young people are afraid, um, even, even when they uh, have loving, supportive parents, certain things just simply need to be articulated explicitly and over and over again. Um, and so that's, that's important. I tell you that, you know, just what you said there, um, that was a few months ago, I had a dad in here and his college age daughter came to him and said, I'm pregnant and we're going to get an abortion. And you know, he told her everything he could think of about why that shouldn't be the case. But, you know, but sweetheart, I'm, I'm going to love you no matter what. Uh, and she ended up having the abortion. And, you know, it just absolutely destroyed him. Um, but he said it was one of the more. And, and the, to this day, I guess the girl has not told her mother because her mother would yell and judge and. Um, and all he did was offer the best advice. So, you know, you're right. And I think sometimes as parents, well, we love them. They know they can talk to us and that's not really the case. Right. Right. Nice point. And anything else to mention there with parents? Just keep the doors of communication open, not just on, on that issue, but on all issues, because sometimes the issue you're not even thinking of that will, will affect your child will be the one that they have to struggle with that you would never even have imagined. But having kept the door open, of communication open on other things will let them know that when something else comes up, that that same Absolutely. door will be open. Karen, thank you so much for your time, guys. I hope you th- you appreciated listening to Karen's heart. Um, it is is certainly a powerful story. I, we would encourage you to pick up her memoir, check out her um, her uh, articles, pretty much on any website it seems she's writing (laughs) no but it's i mean it's christianity today washington post the atlantic gospel coalition um find her stuff out there it is powerful powerful stuff karen thank you so much if you do want more information about karen you can find her on twitter it's at love life lit god and you can also find her on facebook at karen swallow prior thank you so much Karen. karen thank you so very much thank you for having me so sharp yeah, I mean, that was great. Yeah, uh, it's it, it, the abortion issue is not really talked about all that much. No, yeah, anymore. to your point, it it really isn't. And and we found one individual, and I know there's many individuals out there, but an individual that's still cham- championing that point, championing. What's the word? Champ- Making a big deal out of it. <laughs> championing. Yeah, championing. <laughs> You're right. That's an odd word. Uh, a couple of things that came up in the conversation. One, how we engage people. That may have a different of opinion, yep. difference of opinion. Um, just because we disagree with someone doesn't make them bad, evil, horrible. In fact, and this is religious issue, period. race issues, gender. But you know, in, you know, I always tell people in communication, empathy is the Willy Wonka's golden ticket. If we can ever have empathy, uh, we'd get to go swim in a lake of chocolate. Yes, or blow up like a blueberry. <laughs> I'm not sure which, but for a, for a, uh, a teenage girl to be going through some, something this horrific 
where I'm telling you, it's like 400 bucks yeah. and all this goes away. Disappears. Your life isn't changing. College isn't out of the question. I mean, everyone still loves you. To, but then to go on top of that and condemn them as a baby killer uh, is really tough. It doesn't get the message across. No. Yeah. I mean, we need to, and even, you know, if it's not happening to them, but just people that have a pro-choice point of view, they think that's the loving thing to do. Sure. To not bring a child into. And yep. she nailed it. And it's simply because they don't see an unborn child yep. as a person. Yep. They think of it as like an appendix. Um, so being able to empathize with somebody and to disagree with them, you know, again, without being disagreeable. Yeah. And I would say as far as just lowering, decreasing the number of abortions, um, education is huge. And I think education, it begins in childhood. And this might just be this expert coming out in me, but um, we need initiatives in our public and private and charter schools um, to educate our kids, not on um, abstinence, although that certainly is the safest way, right? There's a 100% chance you're not going to get pregnant if you don't have sex. Um, but we need to also have education on uh, contraception. We need to have education on um, what are our options, right? So in some communities, it's I'm pregnant and it's an abortion. But there are many other options out there. Uh, well, two rather. Um, but there's options out there rather than abortion um, that people need to know about. And you understand that you were not the first sex expert in our family. Did you teach sex? Well, that's not why I was known as a sex expert. <laughs> I don't uh, think we want to go here. Well, I'm just saying your presence alone, should. I think, validates my point. I don't know. Maybe we should get Beth on here at some point. Yeah, and my, and my father-in-law that's listening, it's always awkward when I talk about sex. And I, I know. know he's going to be listening. I, I still have never touched your daughter. <laughs> just I just know that. I want you to know I've just been attracted from afar. <laughs> Guys, thanks for listening. If you want more information about Karen and or other episodes, paradoxpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's Doc's Podcast. And then myself at those three platforms, it's Doc Josh Myers. I'm going to get this correct. Facebook is Dr. Jimmy Myers on Twitter and Instagram at J Myers Fam. Booyah. <laughs> Guys, thanks for listening. Thank Have you. A good Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. and researched by Dr. Jimmy and Dr. Josh Myers. For more information about our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescarr.com. If you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. You may be angry, and for very good reason, but to demand that your spouse sever their relationship with their parents is asking way, way too much.